Welcome to the message podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Make sure you join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road and a new campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, at our Harrisonburg campus, we have a Spanish campus that meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. Check out our website, cotnaz.org, for more information. Today we're going to begin a new series. Uh, We are coming out of our Easter series called Beauty for Ashes, and we're going to jump today into our series called Psalms for Now. Psalms for now. So Psalms is really that giant section in the middle of your Bibles that is really real world people interacting with God. They're worshiping, they're walking, they're praising, they're repenting, uh, they're pouring their hearts out before God. And we get today to look back and over the next three weeks, we're going to take a look at three specific, arguably some of the three most popular Psalms in Scripture Now, a few uh, uh, facts or a little bit of context about Psalms. Uh, The writing of Psalms really spans about a thousand years, which is a huge expanse of time. Um, And it's not necessarily in chronological order. So uh, one of the oldest Psalms that we believe written is actually Psalm 90. And we believe that to be written by Moses uh, at about 1489 B.C. And then one of the newest Psalms, ironically, is Psalm 1. Uh, written by Ezra in about 444 B.C. So you have a huge span of time there covered in the Psalms. And many of you, uh, through your journey with the Lord and through Scripture, Psalms is a great place to go. Uh, We find ourselves there when we're rejoicing. We don't know even how to express what's happening in our heart. We will turn to the Psalms. Uh, When we're seeking or when we're in grief, we maybe hit Psalm 23 to to hear the comforting words there. One of my favorite passages in Psalms is written by David, and that is Psalm 37. That's a psalm that has spoken to me a lot uh, in my journey. As we launch into our series today, we're going to begin in Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Uh, So Psalm 51 is written by David, and it's really a psalm of repentance, a psalm of repentance. It helps us to answer the question, what do I do with my sin? What do I do with my sin? If you today would, would think about, and it's not fun, it's not pleasant, but just think for just a moment with me about the worst thing you've ever done, that darkest sin you've ever committed in your life. What did you say to God about it? Were you talking to him then? Is there a habitual sin in your life now that is only maybe known between you and the Lord? What if today, what if today that sin, that dark place was written as a banner above your head? You ever look around at the people sitting to your left or to your right in church and think to yourself, if these people only knew If they only knew the real me, they wouldn't accept me. Have you ever been there? Friends, today the truth we find in Psalm 51 is a lifeline today. It's a lifeline of hope. 
It's God announcing from the hills that I will make your darkest sin whiter than snow. Your greatest emptiness can be full of my Holy Spirit. Psalm 51 is really a response to one of the greatest failures, the darkest nights of a great leader in Scripture, and that was King David. So King David is arguably one of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament. He was ruler over the United Kingdom of Israel, and he was written, the same guy that committed this great sin that we're going to look at today was the same guy that Scripture says of him that he was a man after God's own heart. But yet, he succumbed to temptation and to sin. Um, So we know that David, if you're not familiar with his story, as he is ruling over the nation of Israel, we find this account of his great sin, the failure in chapter 11 and chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. So as David is in his palace, and as he, as he looks out one day, he sees a beautiful woman bathing, and this woman is known as Bathsheba. Now, she's not totally innocent in this account, uh, as she was exposing herself to be seen, but we know that in Scripture that David became obsessed with her in a lustful desire. He followed that through to the point that he finally committed adultery with her, and she conceived a child. Now, David, the ruler, a man after God's own heart, had a real problem. He had a real problem because Bathsheba was married to Uriah, one of David's great fighting men, and he was out at war serving and fighting for the cause of the nation of Israel. So David had a problem. He had to try to cover this up so it wouldn't be found out. So David calls Uriah back from the battlefront, and he tries to get him to go home to be with his wife to try to cover up what had taken place. But, but Uriah and his righteousness and devotedness to, devotedness to his men refuses to go home. And even after David got him intoxicated, he laid outside the door refusing to go in and be with his wife. So David, having failed twice to cover up his sin, arranges for his murder on the battlefield. And so what happens is that Uriah is put forth in a fierce conflict. He's put all the way to the front, and the army retreats from behind him, leaving him exposed, and him and many others were killed that day. And so David, having premeditated his murder, thinks he's gotten away with it. He takes Bathsheba to be his wife, and she goes on to bear the son. David may be thinking that all was well, that finally we've got that behind us, we can move forward. The story's not over. 2 Samuel, I believe it's in chapter 12, verse 27, records that the sin was not out of the sight and out of the mind of God. Verse 27 records, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And the Lord would go on to send the prophet Nathan to confront David. Nathan the prophet comes before David the king and tells him a story of a man who had plenty, a rich man who had plenty, but yet when he came to need a lamb, he went to the poorest man in town and took his only lamb. And David is indignant with anger and and wants justice for this man. And then the truth comes crashing down in verse 7 when Nathan proclaims, you are the man. The tower of cards that David had built around his sin to hide himself behind came crashing down in a moment. David responds in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. So what we find today in Psalm 51 is David's heartfelt repentance. 
My friend Billy Hook is going to come to read the scripture today. So hear the words, knowing the context. And there's many lessons through the story that we can learn, but hear the context today of David's repentance in Psalm 51 before the Lord. Brother Billy. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are my God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. Lord, today we come to you seeking what you would have to say to us. Lord, I pray that you would bless the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brother Billy. So what do I do with my sin? I think as God's people, we need to take a close and intimate look at this question. Because we need a biblical approach to dealing with our sin. Because if we don't go to Scripture for the guide of how to deal with our sin, we're pretty good at dealing with it ourselves, aren't we? As Christians, we are not immune to this. David was known as the man after God's own heart, yet he finds himself here. We are not immune today, friends. It's a grave danger to think that we are not susceptible to sin. Uh, Scripture records that the enemy is prowling around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. So what do our responses look like? Man, I, I don't know if women do this or not. You have to help me out here. But men in the room... Have you ever done something really dumb? No comment from the ladies. 
No comment from the ladies. But men, have you ever done something really dumb? You, you smash your finger with a hammer or, or you drop something valuable or maybe you have an accident and you're really hurt. Have you ever, the first thing you do is jump up and look around to see who's watching? Uh, I hear some chuckles. I know it's not just me. I mean, your arm can be bent around the back of your head in some unnatural contortion, and somebody's going to go, sir, sir, are you okay? And go, oh, it's, it's just a scratch. Sir, I don't think your arm's supposed to bend that way. Oh, it's totally fine. It's just, just a scratch. What is it about? Do women do that, by the way? Or is that just a man thing? I don't, I don't know. Help me out after service. But what is it in us that makes us rebound out of that failure, out of that fault, and immediately look around? I don't even know what, I do it and I don't know why. But I think that just gives us a pinhole that we can see through today that we will have a response to failure. We will always have a natural response to missing the mark. And so today we're going to look at a few of those areas, a few of the ways that we do that, and then we're going to see what Scripture has to say. And so one of the first things I think that we do is that we hide. We hide. We're good at hiding, aren't we? I mean, when, when we're trying to, to avoid sin or trying to avoid that shame, we know where the problem is, and we will go to all extent to avoid it, to hide from it. We'll block calls. We'll shut down messenger. We'll kill friendships, change habits, change locations. We'll do anything we can do to maintain avoidance at all costs. We hide. We hide. And often, often the motivation, the propellant in that hiding is shame. And the reality is, is that shame is an, a powerful force of the enemy to push us away from God, to push us away from relationship with others. Sometimes we'll hide behind good things. We'll hide behind fake smiles or prosperous careers or nice homes. We'll hide behind sports or hobbies or whatever that thing may be avoidance at all costs. And if we look to Scripture, we'll see that from the very beginning pages of the story of humanity, we've been hiding at the thought of sin. Because Adam and Eve, when they, when they partook of the fruit and they knew they had disobeyed, the first thing they did was hide. One of our first responses is to hide. Secondly, we cover it up. Right, Just like David, we, we can come up with elaborate stories and elaborate schemes to try to cover up, to hide, to bury that thing that we're running from. We start out with one great problem, and then we try to increase, we try to cover it up and create another problem to cover that problem. Now we've got two to cover, so now we have three and four and so on to where this pattern just locks us into being someone we're not because we're trying to cover something up. This pattern can turn into years of brokenness and disobedience if we can't turn it around. What else do we do with sin? You ever made excuses? I know I have. We'll try to put the blame anywhere else but on ourselves. We hear so many stories in our world today. Our, our news feeds are so full of failures of high-profile people, of leaders, of people we look up to. And we'll look at that harboring something in our heart and go, man, Lord, at least I didn't do that. At least I didn't do that thing. At least I, I'm not that person. We try to excuse ourselves and maybe get one notch up 
from the other people we walk and journey with in the world. We make excuses. At least I'm not like that. At least I didn't do that thing. Jesus brought all those ideas to a screeching halt in his teaching when he was talking about the idea of lust. And he says, if a man even looks at a woman lustfully, he has committed adultery with her. And he goes to take it another level, talking about murder, saying that if we harbor anger in our hearts towards another person, that we are likened to a murderer. So the reality is today, friends, is that every one of us is an adulterous murderer in the eyes of God because it's about the heart condition. Sin is a condition of the heart. It's a missing of the mark of God's standard. And sure, we talk about sin a lot as as missing the mark or breaking uh, the Ten Commandments, but that is coming from a heart condition, a root problem that is sourcing our lives and pushing us farther and farther away from the will of God. So what do we do about our sin? I think Psalm 51, and there's no way in today's message that we can cover the expanse of God's grace and his mercy There's no way in the remaining time that I can convey all of the truth to you. So we're going to really focus in, hone in on three points today of what Scripture, and specifically Psalm 51, calls us to when we think of this idea, what do I do with my sin? First today, friends, we we have to start at a point of honest confession. Honest confession. Confession. So we confess before the Lord. Proverbs 28, 13 says that whoever conceals their sin, so you hear that idea of whoever's concealing, whoever's hiding, whoever's denying, whoever's making excuses, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. That's good news today, friends. That's a promise tucked away in Scripture for us today. Confession is really when we come out of hiding, when we stop running, when we stop making excuses, and we come before the Lord admitting our sin, confessing before Him. In confessing, we're coming before God, seeking His mercy according to His great grace and love for us. This resounds through the first verses of our psalm today. We read, have mercy on me, O God. David is pleading to the mercy of God because if he pleads to justice, he's a dead man. So he knows in confession that he needs to plead to accord to God's mercy and his grace. And he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. And we know that compassion is God's love in action. That's what David's appealing to in confession here today. In confession, we take ownership and responsibility of our sin, of our fault, of our failure, of our missing the mark. We read in this psalm, David, is, you hear him so much over and over say, my iniquity, I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. There's no more dodging the bullet, no more making excuses. David is owning up to it in his confession. Friends, confession acknowledges that our sin is an offense to a holy God. David says in verse 4, Against you, against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
Now, certainly the reality that David sinned against Uriah, he sinned against Bathsheba, but ultimately his missing the mark, his failure was against God. And that's true for us today. No matter what that thing is in your life and whatever wreckage and carnage might be around, ultimately we have to, in our confession before the Lord, take ownership that it's against his holy love and his holy nature that we have sinned. And we'll note today in David's confession that he doesn't confess the consequences. He doesn't come seeking amendment for the consequences of his sin. He comes seeking repentance from the source of sin in his heart. Because the reality is that all too quickly we come to regret the consequences of our sin before we ever regret the sin itself. I've seen me do it. Confession is ultimately admission that we have missed the mark. David says in verse 6, Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. Even in the womb. Confession today, friends, is where we reclaim. It's where we can begin to reclaim the life that shame has robbed from. It's easy to think today, it's easy to think about that thing in your life, that thing that only you and God know about, and to be sitting there thinking, oh boy, if these people only knew me, if they only knew what was in my heart, it's easy today to think, there's no way I can talk to God about this. Friend, shame is a powerful tool of the enemy today. Don't let him corner you. Don't let him corner you alone today. It's in confession that we come out of that dark corner. That we come out of that crushing weight and we say, here am I, God. Against you only have I sinned. It begins in confession. Next, we have to find repentance. We repent. The Church of the Nazarene defines repentance as a sincere and thorough change of mind in regard to sin involving a sense of personal guilt and a voluntary turning away from sin. It's demanded of all who have by act or purpose become sinners against God. Quite simply put today, friends, repentance is turning away from our sin. We have to stop sinning. We have to stop sinning. We can't come before God in confession and seeking his mercy and petitioning to his great grace if we're just going to turn back and continue in our sin. We have to repent. Hebrews 10.26 puts it this way. It says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice remains for sin. We have to stop. We have to come out of that corner in confession and we have to turn away from that sin that's isolating us. We're seeking cleansing. We're not repenting from bad to worse. We're repenting from sin to greatness in God. We're seeking cleansing from the heaviness, from the stain of sin. David says, let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. 
David here is likening the guilt, the shame, the heaviness of that sin in his life to being bone crushing. And David's turning away in his repentance. He's saying, cleanse me. If Psalm 51 is anything, it's a man desiring to be clean again. He says, cleanse me, wash me, restore me, deliver me. These prayers are so profound. They're turning away from sin and turning to God. We have to confess. We have to come out of the corner. And we have to turn away from our sin. And finally, we return. This is where the hope is, friends. We confess, we repent, but yet we return to God. If in repentance we stop short of returning to Christ, we have stopped short of the bountiful, beautiful restoration available in the mercy of God. We talk a lot about repentance. That's a great church word. You've maybe heard about that a lot. But if we stop short of returning to the God of the universe, the God of mercy, the God of love, we have stopped short of the restoration that is available to us in Christ Jesus. David says in verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David understands here that he not only needs to be forgiven, he not only needs to come out of the corner of shame and guilt, he not only needs to turn away from his sin, he confesses here and understands that he needs a totally new heart. That's what we need. We need that regenerate life of the Spirit alive in us today. He says, restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me, a willing spirit to obey the holy God's commandments and his love. Friends, we can affect many, many, many behavioral modifications, but only God can touch the heart. And in returning to him, we're opening our hearts before him, asking for a new heart, a fresh start, a clean slate. It's when we return to the Lord that we find the fresh start. David goes on. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice. He's talking about the whole Mosaic covenant and all the ordinance of the Levitical practice. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Now, he's not here throwing all that away, but he's getting to the core of the matter of what God really is after. He says, my sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. David understood that that. Levitical system was pointing to the great cleansing available in Christ Jesus. He understood that. And when we return, we're saying, God, I'm here. I've blown it. Will you restore me by your mercy? We have to return. We have to return. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told? In brief summary, uh, Jesus tells a story of a man who had two sons, and, and one of the sons comes before him and, and asks for all of his inheritance. And in that culture, that was so significant because that son basically said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. I'm out. 
And so he takes his money and he runs and he goes and wastes it away on wasteful living and he's pursuing all the, the desires of the flesh of the world and, and he's done all these things and he finally hits rock bottom to where he is feeding the pigs and desiring to eat what even they are eating. He's hit rock bottom. And he comes to his senses and he says, the servants in my father's house live better than this. I'm going to go home and ask if I can be just a servant in my father's household to be restored to even that level. And what do we find? We find in the father that when he sees his son coming over the horizon, the father's been looking, the father's been anticipating, waiting and longing for his son to come home. And he runs out to meet him, which was throwing away his dignity in that culture. And he embraces him and puts a ring on his finger and throws a banquet. Friends, that's how Jesus likened the father when a sinner comes home. That's us today when we come out of that dark corner, when we confess before and we turn from our sin and return to him. He runs to greet us and restores us. That's who we're returning to today. It's not an angry God. It's a God who's been waiting for us to come over that horizon and to restore us. So what will you do about your sin today? What will you do about your sin today? Friend, it's not an accident that you're here today. It's time to stop running. Maybe it's time to stop hiding. Maybe it's time to stop making excuses. The invitation today is clear. David has given us a great pathway to restoration. In Psalm 51, as the band begins to come, we see the clear guidance. And, and there's, there's no way that this can be a one, two, three, and we're done formula. It's a heart change. It's a transaction that takes place between your heart and a holy God. But it begins when we'll stop running. When we'll just confess that we need to be still to come out of that dark corner, to break the chains of shame and come before a God that loves us, that's longing for us to crest the horizon and to embrace us. Friends, the reality today is there is not a sin you can conceive that God can't forgive. There's nothing in your life today that God's going to shy away from and go, ooh, I didn't mean that. There's nothing. But it starts by confession. It starts by coming before him and confessing that it's against him that we have sinned and it's on us for missing the mark. And in confession we find repentance where we come out of that place of seeking the things of the world and we turn away to seek him. We turn away from our sin and we return to the one who gave his life for us today. We're going to respond today in song. This is a moment in eternity where you can reflect on your heart condition before God. I don't know your story. But God knows. No matter how lonesome and isolating that dark corner of shame feels like, God knows right where you are today, friend. And like the story of the prodigal son, he is waiting for you to come across the horizon in repentance and Will you come before him today?
Will you come before him as the God of the universe who loves you, who knows the hairs on your head? There's nobody that loves us like he does. And he desires to pour himself in us, to restore us. It's because he knows that we were created to worship. He knows that sin is killing us. And he wants to give us his abundant life. Will you come before him today? Would you stand with me as we worship today? There's going to be a few folks in the back that are available for prayer. If you would like to just pray with someone, you don't have to say a word. You can say everything, whatever the Holy Spirit's putting on your heart. But Pastor Terry and Brother Billy Hook and Miss Karen Good are in the back, and I would love to pray with you if we can partner with you. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. We don't have to journey alone. We don't have to hear hard things and be isolated. Don't worry about what your neighbor or your spouse or your friends or your kids are going to think if you want to go receive prayer. It doesn't matter. This is a transaction between your heart and the heart of a holy God. So we're going to worship today. There's an attitude of prayer. We're going to close after the song. But if you need to pray today, don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity. Lord, we thank you today that we can come before you bent, broken. And God, you're welcoming us with open arms. So Lord, today, may we, everyone, confess that you are Lord, that we have missed the mark. Every one of us, Lord, have missed the mark. So, Father, we worship you today. We pray as we worship. We're breathing prayer and worship because you alone are worthy, God. Speak to our hearts today, Lord, as we sing. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.